new sermon series that we're beginning today entitled um, For All of Life's Messes. And uh, there are a lot of things that uh, get messy in our life. Most of it's because uh, we create that mess. And so we're going to look at some of these in the upcoming weeks. The Bristol Vacuum Cleaner people have used this phrase for all of life's messes uh, very well in advertising their product. And I would imagine their product works very well uh, um, also. There are a lot of different messes that go on in our life. And so here's what we're going to deal with over the next several weeks. Uh, When you're tempted, that's today. Uh, When your life is a mess. Uh, When your heart is broken. When your heart is filled with fear. And when your family life is fragile. So I'm hoping and praying in these next five weeks might really zone in on where most of you are living. If you have a family or friends who are struggling with life and some of them uh, are not believers, this will be a great time to invite them before that great big Matthew event uh, in November uh, with the Billy Graham crusade uh, to hear about my hope. Because this is also based upon our hope that we've discovered already as we've talked about hope. But um, I'm hoping that, that this will meet your needs where you live. Because all of us have got some mess in our life that we deal with. And so today we're going to start by talking about temptation. And I love the story that's told by the pastor who had to go downtown uh, in a major city for a meeting. And uh, he couldn't find a place to park. And finally he parked in a no parking zone. And um, and he he left a note on on the windshield wipers that said, I've circled the block ten times. If I don't park here, I'll miss my appointment. Forgive us our trespasses. When he came back after his meeting, he found a ticket, and the police officer who wrote the ticket wrote this note on the ticket. said, I've circled this block for 10 years. If I don't give you a ticket, I'll lose my job. Lead us not into temptation. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great to live in a world without any temptation? You know, some people think, well, I think it'd be great if, if when we got saved, if God just simply took us out of this world and took us to heaven, and we could live there where there's no temptation and, and nothing uh, that, that would tempt us to make any kind of mistake. Uh, a lot of us would like to do that, but that's not the reality. We live life in this world. Oscar Wilde, the playwright, said, I can resist anything except temptation. So the issue comes up today is, is what are some of the great temptations um, that we face? And I found a study that was done in 2011 uh, that tracked the top temptations that Americans say that they face and how severe it is in their life. Number one on that list is worrying or being anxious. Uh, Procrastinating or putting things off was number two. Tempting to eat too much was number three. Spending too much time on media, 44% said that. Being lazy, maybe that goes with spending too much time on media. Spending more money than one could afford, 35%. Gossiping about others, 26%. Being jealous or envious of others. Then we get to something I think are some real critical issues. Viewing pornography or sexually explicit material and abusing alcohol or drugs. And I'm surprised that both of those were only 11% that people admitted to. Now, when these same people were asked if they tried to do anything specific to avoid the temptation, now this this was something revealing to me. 41% said yes, and 59% said no. In other words, right from the get-go, 59% of Americans who were dealing with temptations in life said they didn't try to do anything to stop it. Now, when people were asked why they gave in to temptations, Here are the top four reasons why. Number one, 
I'm not really sure. That's a strange response, I think. They don't know why they gave in to the temptation. Second is to escape or get away from real life. There are issues out there. Some people turn to alternate sources rather than the abundant life in Jesus Christ. Third on the list was to feel less pain or loneliness. And fourth on the list was, and I don't understand this one exactly, why it fits in with yielding to temptation, but it's to satisfy other people's expectations of me. So you see, it's a real issue about temptation in it. Well, uh, we've got a little display over here that I want us to look at. Because there's some of the things in life that can tempt us that aren't all that bad, really, in, in themselves, except one that I'll mention. We'll start on that end, and there's money. You know, money can always be a temptation to do something wrong. If you ever find any money, what do you do with it? I, my heart was warm this week when I read the story about the um, 40-some-year-old man, homeless, that uh, found $42,000. You know, y'all see that? Turned it in the police station. And then before the day was over, I think contributors were giving him about $60,000. That was a heartwarming story. I like that. But he turned it in. Nothing really wrong with, um, with playing games on TV as long as it doesn't interrupt homework or you get too busy on doing that. And that's all you do all night long. Hershey's Candy Bar, just one of the things that you'll find in a very tempting place when you check out of the grocery store, isn't it? It's right there. So you can just grab two or three of them, throw them in the buggy, you know, and uh, satisfy your sweet tooth. Mountain Dew. Soft drink, same thing. We'll come back and talk about the Cheetos. Now, I picked up this dozen donuts in the 845 service. And I was talking about what a temptation it is, and I happened to notice that two of them are gone. <laughs> now, nobody's gotten any more from them, but nobody has admitted it, okay? Now, that, when that, hot, uh, that sign flashes at Krispy Kreme that these donuts are ready, that is a hard temptation to resist, isn't it? Yeah, and if you go there, go ride by the Krispy Kreme and the light's not on, what do you do? You go circle the block three or four times. If the light comes on, it's destined. You're supposed to get donuts, right? Okay. Well, let me jump to, the, to a bigger one here. You always get the benefit of the insight from the 845 crowd. David Jacob said, I'd be more concerned about the fact that the liquor bottle is empty than that two donuts were missing out of the box. And yes, that is a liquor bottle, a whiskey bottle, whatever it's supposed to be, I'm not sure. Sugar, we all like sugar. Some people can't have it, diabetic, shouldn't deal with that. But we all like sugar. And then uh, there's a laptop. We spend a lot of time on that. I want to share some things with you. I mean, those in themselves are tough enough to resist. But you know, we're really being plotted against by the companies that produce these things, especially the food. I mean, no wonder we can't resist this stuff, Okay. The average American eats 33 pounds of cheese and 70 pounds of sugar. That's only, what is that, five? Oh, don't fall, Cheeto. I got to use you then a minute, okay? All right. 11% of our diet comes from saturated fats. Every day we eat 8,500 milligrams of salt. That's four teaspoonfuls of salt every day. Mm. In his book entitled Salt, Sugar, Fat, Michael Moss tells about for the last two decades, some of America's largest food producers have carefully studied how to, quote, help us crave junk food. For example, some of these companies, Campbell's Soup. I've never known anybody to get overdosed on Campbell's Soup, but anyway, they're one of them. General Foods, Kraft, PepsiCo, and Cadbury. Cadbury, what is that, expensive chocolate? Is that what that is? Yeah, Okay. Dr. Joe knows that. He likes for us to do that because that gives him business as a dentist, right? Okay. All right. Now, 
what these consultants help the companies do is to help us find our bliss point. And that's the point where food companies optimize our cravings. Now, Frito-Lay is one of the largest makers of chips. They do chips, and and I'm told here, 21 varieties of Cheetos. I did not know that. Okay? Now, they have a complex near Dallas where they employ over 500 chemists, psychologists. You wouldn't think that psychology goes into this thing of making this stuff. Technicians, and they spent, uh, Frito-Lay did, $30 million a year to help us find our bliss point for their junk foods. Now, Cheetos. How many of you like Cheetos? Oh, yeah. Okay. I don't know what we're going to do with this when today's over, but um, maybe you can ask Phil about that. You might notice something about eating Cheetos that they just said. Cheetos has been called one of the most marvelously constructed foods on the planet in terms of pure pleasure. It's called what has vanishing caloric density. In other words, because it melts quickly in your mouth, your brain thinks there's no calories in it, and you can keep eating them forever. No wonder we're tempted. They know our bliss point. They're psychologists working against us. And I'm going to make mention about the empty liquor bottle. I do that because for good reason. Um, That's still the number one drug problem in America, and it's legal if you're 21. But we have, and I, I went to several different sites to find information on this, and I was really surprised at how low the number was according to these statistics, that about 5 million teenagers are alcoholics. They're getting it before it's legal. Those who are legal, adults, about 15 million. And I'm really surprised it's not more than that. Now, we ought to know about the dangers of alcohol. Labor Day, we had one of our choir members, children's Sunday school teachers, uh, killed tragically by a drunk driver, somebody who couldn't handle it. So, we've got all kinds of things that tempt us in life. Some of these, well, I guess with the exception of of, of the liquor or whatever, most of those other things just kind of play with our lifestyle, maybe get your sugar out of whack, get your cholesterol up and all that kind of stuff. But in reality, those are some of the milder temptations we face because there's a real force out there uh, and forces that are working against us to shape and change and direct the, the, the course of our life with temptations that are greater than that, that to lead us to moral failures and lead us to being spiritually defeated. And that's why some people think that the best thing God could do when we become a believer is just to take us out of this world. So we wouldn't have to face temptations. But that's not what God has in plan in store for us. We can't just live our life in isolation. In fact, in Philippians 2.15 in the New Living Translation, uh, Paul writes and says, You are to live clean, innocent lives as children of God in a dark world full of crooked and perverse people. Let your lives shine brightly before them. In other words, we as believers ought to be able to withstand some of the temptations in life that are not good examples for others in in this world. And and our life is to be an example for them. So we're not to be isolated, but we're to be insulated by the power of God. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. In fact, on the last night that Jesus spent on earth before his crucifixion, he prayed in John 17 in that great high priestly prayer. He says, Father, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. 
My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. See, Jesus didn't ask God to take his disciples, and that was those, that group that night and all disciples and followers of Christ ever since then. He didn't ask him for, to take us out of this world, but he instead, he wanted God to strengthen us so that we could withstand the temptations in life. Now, how do we do that? You know, what's the spiritual basis for that? What's the scriptural basis? Well, last week we looked at 1 Peter uh, and we saw our living hope that's found in Jesus Christ. Now, today I want you to look back with me at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 20, 13 through 21. We're going to see how we build on that living hope. And I want to share four principles with you to help us deal with temptation when you're tempted, okay? Beginning in verse 13. Uh, uh, Peter writes and says, therefore. Now, whenever you read the word therefore, you have to ask, what is that word therefore? That means you go back and you look at the previous section of Scripture, and it talks to us about our living hope in Jesus Christ, okay? So, Peter says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. See, our hope for withstanding temptation and, and not yielding to those temptations that are designed to destroy us, uh, particularly spiritually, uh, that, that we can stand strong and withstand them. So, what, what did we find in that passage of Scripture uh, that helps us with that living hope in Christ build upon some principles so that we can withstand temptation? First one is this prepare your mind for the battle against temptation. Peter writes and says in verse 13, prepare your minds for action and be self-controlled. You see, we we either win or lose the battle against temptation in our mind, in our thought process. And we're encouraged in the scripture to win the battle by our thought process. Remember what Paul wrote in Romans 12 too? He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, as we become a believer in Christ and grow in that relationship with Him, we need to have a sense of renewal that takes place in our mind, in our thinking process, in our thought process about all the situations in life. So, how do we do that? I I suggest two things. The first is to filter out the bad, and then is to add the good. Now, filter out the bad. We use a lot of different filters uh, in our life, in our homes. We've got water filters. Some of you have got a water filter system on your, on your house for the drinking water that you use. Uh, use a coffee pot that makes brews coffee and, and not the K-cups. You, got, you use coffee filters to keep some of the grinds from getting into coffee. You know, you've got furnace filters to go for your heating and air system. 
You operate a car, you ought to know you got, you got a gas filter, you got oil filter, and you got an air filter. All of those are important. What do they do? They filter out dirt. They filter out trash. We need to do the same thing with our mind. We need to learn to filter out the things that are bad. In fact, the prophet Isaiah many, many years ago in Isaiah 55, 7 said, Let the people turn from their wicked deeds. Let them banish from their minds the very thought of doing wrong. Now, that's a challenge, isn't it? To banish from your mind the thought of doing wrong. Now, it's easier to filter out the bad before it gets into our mind than it is to try to remove it later. And so, we need to avoid the things that contaminate our mind. You know, movies, music, TV shows, websites, magazines, any of those kinds of things that can be alluring, that can be uh, less than, than wholesome and, and good for our soul and growth of our spirit and building our, our Christian life. There are temptations, and temptations to sin and fall are all around us, but we don't have to fall to that. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now, that's a challenge, isn't it? To take every thought that we have captive to the obedience of Christ. But I'll tell you one thing. Even if you work on it and you're not successful 100% of the time, you're going to be better off because that's going to help you filter everything that comes through your mind. And that's going to decide whether you win or lose the battle with temptation. So we're going to filter out the bad. Then we want to fill the mind up with what is good. You remember this? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Those are the kind of things that we need to put in our, in our mind. You know, and if we have a regular dose and a regular time of spending time in the Word of God, we're going to put those things there. And that will shape your thought process and your thought pattern. The Great Wall of China is an example of how you can try to keep things out. You know, they built that Great Wall of China. It was so thick chariots could drive across it. And they thought that they would, uh, they would isolate themselves from the northern enemies. You know how the enemies got in? All they had to do was bribe one gatekeeper who was willing to be weak, and all the enemies just came right in through that gate. And see, our thought process sometimes is like that. We got an enemy on the inside that's weak. We got an enemy in our body, and, and the gatekeeper of our mind sometimes does not filter out the bad and does not fill it with good. But it's the laws of the Word of God that we need to put in there so that we have the Word of God in our, in our mind and in our heart. So we can do battle with the temptations in life. I want you to look with me in Matthew chapter 4 at the temptation of Jesus and see what he faced and how he overcame the temptations. Now chapter 4 of Matthew begins with Jesus being led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And Jesus answered, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. 
And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Now notice what happens. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Other translations say, ministered to him. Now you need to notice some things about this temptation of Jesus. I think the three temptations he faced are pretty much common to all of us. That's to use our power selfishly, to do what we want, to fall into temptation because of something that we want, okay? It's also the temptation to make a public display of himself. You know, that, that's what Satan tricked, wanted to trick him into doing, was to use his powers for that reason and something that would be a public display. And the third one was to compromise his commitment, and Jesus wouldn't fall for any of that. Now notice something else. It's not God who tempts us, it's Satan who tempts us. Now notice the third thing again. That when you resist the devil, he will leave you and the spirit will come and minister to you. James 4, 7 says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You might have to tell him no three or four times or 300 times or 3,000 times. No. But the scripture says that, that you resist him and he'll flee from you. See, and it all starts in your mind with your thought process. Now, here's the second principle. Consider the consequences of giving in to the temptation. See, every time we're tempted, you ought to look at that and say, if I give in to that, here's, a, here, here's what's going to happen. Here are the consequences of that. Here are the consequences of that. Now, what's our challenge from this passage of Scripture? It's where Peter says that God has reminded us that he who calls us is holy. And we're to be holy because He is holy. And we also need to remember that not all temptations deliver what they promise. Quick look at this. Well, I watch carefully. Daughter's drawing. Watch carefully what happens. Some of you that I performed marriages for a few years back might have a copy of this. I gave it to a lot of young couples. Hmm. Started out looking one way and turned out to be something else, didn't it? You see, there are a lot of sins that we fall victim to that, that promise us a whole lot of pleasure. But in the end, they don't pay out. And to resist the temptation is to avoid the consequences. What kind of consequences are there? Well, if we, you're tempted to, to uh, yield and succumb to just some temporary tempt, uh, you know, pleasure and all like that, you're going to fall victim to different things. It could harm you physically. Could harm you spiritually, most definitely spiritually, it will harm you. Could uh, harm your, your family. It could give you emotional consequences of guilt and shame. Um, you grieve God. You lose your influence as a believer. And sometimes it destroys families. Proverbs 10.23 says, A fool finds pleasure in evil conduct, but a man of understanding delights in wisdom. We all need to be people of wisdom, people of the Word of God. And understand that when we're faced with temptations, we need to consider first the consequences of what might happen if we yield to that temptation. Here's the third principle when you're tempted. Live in reverent fear of God's judgment. And you know that struck me going through this passage of Scripture because I think a lot of us have been, and, and, and maybe we've done it a lot from the pulpit, in trying to get you to understand that God is, is loving and kind and just and wants to have a relationship with you. We've not emphasized the fact that God is also a God of judgment and that He will judge us. And I think we need to understand that and we need to remember that. That we need to live in reverent awe and fear of this wonderful God that we have. 
Uh, he says, Peter says in verse 17, since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. You know, the Bible is very clear that one day every person who ever lived will be judged, stand before God and will be judged. Now, let me break it into two groups. First of all, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you've never accepted Him as Savior, you've never acknowledged that He's the Savior who died on the cross and that God sent Him to be the substitute for your sin and He died in your place on the cross, buried and resurrected three days later and you commit your life to Him, then you're going to face a judgment where you stand before God at the great white throne judgment as a non-believer and that judgment is there in the Bible that says you're going to be cast into the lake of fire which is hell and you're going to be separated from God for all eternity. That's why you don't need to live another day or another hour without acknowledging Christ in your life as your Savior. Now, most of us in this room are believers in Christ. We too will be judged, but it's a different type of judgment. We will stand before Christ at the Bema, the judgment seat, and we're going to be judged on how we lived our life. You know, in every temptation that we yielded to, it's going to be, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, it's going to be like hay, wood, and stubble. It's going to be burned up. But every time that we withstood temptation and all the good things that we did for the kingdom of God, that's going to be the gold, silver, and those precious rewards. And what it's going to do is going to determine what our rewards are and what we receive in heaven. Because the judgment is not about where we spend eternity. That was settled when we accepted Christ. We have eternal life. But what we are judged for is what we did with what opportunities we had. And we're going to then be given our rewards in heaven based on that. So every time that we face a temptation, no matter what it is, we need to remember that one day we will stand before God and we will be judged for our actions. So what do we do now? We need to begin every day in God's presence developing a sense of reverent awe or fear for God. Give Him the challenges of your day. You know you're going to be faced with a, with a terribly challenging day. You might have to be facing a, a tough decision where you've got to confront a coworker, you know, or you've got to confront somebody in your family with something. Or you know that where you're going, say on a, on a, a conference or something, that you're not, you're not going to be accountable to the folks back home. And you could be tempted to do anything you want to do. You're thousands of miles away from home and nobody's going to see and nobody's going to know. You need to commit that to God. One of the things that I like to do is to pray and say, God, I know that there are going to be temptations in my way today. I do not want to sin. I do not want to yield to that temptation. And so I want to give this day to you. I want to give my life to you. And I ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit in me that I resist all temptation today and I don't sin. You see, that's one way you can begin to win that battle over temptation. Now, here's the fourth principle. If all the other three don't work, this one ought to hook you. Number four is this. Remember how much God loves you. Remember how much God loves you. First Peter reminds us that we were not redeemed with perishable things such as silver and gold. But in verse 18 he says, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. See, there might be a lot of motivating factors as to why you're able to resist temptation. You know, I don't, want to, I don't want to disappoint my family. I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to fail God. 
you know, and on and on and on you could go. And you say, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't want to break, you know, my mother's heart or my grandmother's heart, you know, because they love me so much. As much as they love you, as much as your family loves you, nobody loves you as much as God loves you. Look what he did for you. He sent Jesus Christ into this world to show his love for you by dying on the cross for your sins so that you can be forgiven. So you can deal with all your past, your failures, your sin, all the guilt, all the shame, all of that. That's how much God loves you. And not only did Jesus come with the power to forgive us of our sins of the past, but he comes to give us the power to deal with the temptations of today. That's how much God loves you. That's how much God loves you. That he sent his son to die in your place. So that you can be forgiven. So that you can have God's power, God's spirit, God's life living within you. You see, Jesus didn't only live a perfect life, only live a perfect life, and then die for our sins. But he also identifies with us in living that life. Hebrews 2.18 says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You see, you have to come to God and, and, and tell him what's going on. He knows, but he wants you to know that he knows, okay? And you have to tell him what you're dealing with. You know, and God's going to be like, I understand that. I understand that. My son was there. He went through those same temptations, but he did not yield to the sin. We're not God. We're not Christ. We're not perfect. We're going to mess up at some point in time. We're going to yield to the temptation. But what I'm trying to prepare us for is for the temptation that you're going to face out there in the real world. That you can, if you apply these principles, I think, in your life, you can find that, that you can resist the temptation and you can live the way God wants you to live. I don't ever face any temptation by thinking, I, got, I think I got it made. You know, I think I got this thing worked out and I got it made and I got enough power in me that um, I don't think I'll fall. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 12 and 13. He says, so... If you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. You see, that's a part of that filling your mind with the good things. That's a part of beginning every day by committing that to God and saying, God, I don't want to sin. I don't want to be, uh, be a victim of temptation. I know what the temptations are out there today. I don't want to fall to it. You see, that's a much better attitude than saying, you know what? I don't think I'm going to have any troubles today. I think I got it made. What Paul says is, you got that attitude, you're going to fall. But if you've got the attitude that says, I can do this only dependent upon God's power in my life, then he says, that's when you won't fail. You won't fall to temptation when it comes your way. So there's something else besides our, you know, our comfort level there where they want to get to us with this food and all. And it's something called restraint bias. And uh, a study was done at Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management in Chicago. And they, t they put students in these tempting positions uh, to smoke, eat junk food, or, or to skip studying. And they all said that they thought that they had a good handle on it. Now, we know that, that restraint bias and they knew how to handle it. But then when they were put in the heat of the moment, what was discovered was that they really weren't as strong as they thought they could be. 
There were those who were the most confident about their self-control were the most likely to give in to temptation. Now remember, this is a secular university with a secular study. And what was the advice that was given out of that about temptation? The key is simply to avoid any situation where vices and other weaknesses thrive. And most importantly, for individuals to keep a humble view on their willpower. That's from a secular institution. That sounds to me a whole lot like good, sound biblical advice, doesn't it to you? Exactly. So there you are. Probably maybe the only temptation you've had in here during this time is maybe text while I'm talking. Or maybe to drool over those donuts. Or maybe to take a nap. When you get to the real world, work tomorrow, school tomorrow, home this afternoon, wherever you go, you're going to face some real temptations. Because Satan is alive and real and he really wants to destroy your life. That's all he wants to do is to destroy your life. And he'll set you up with temptation after temptation after temptation to do it. And you have to be strong in him to resist it. So I encourage you, if you're not a believer in Christ, commit your life to him today. Get the Holy Spirit in your life. If you are a believer in Christ, then claim that power. Any temptation you face, that's the common ones, the scripture says. Everybody's faced them. But don't be so confident in yourself. Know that you're weak and you're going to fail and commit your life to Christ and ask for that power that he has that will enable you to say no to the temptation. That's one of the messes in life. People's lives are messed up so badly today because they can't say no to temptation. And I want to encourage you to say no to the temptation. Father, we thank you that you have prepared us for every situation in life. We thank you especially today as as we deal with the reality of temptation that you've prepared us to, to handle these temptations in life through your power. And so I pray, Father, that for decisions that need to be made, if someone is without a relationship with Christ and doesn't have your power alive and and work in them, that they'll come to make that decision. And then I pray, Father, for for those who are believers in you, uh, that if they're dealing with these issues of temptation, they're feeling weak, they're leaning towards succumbing to that temptation, that they will claim your power and your strength, and they'll be able to say no. And Father, I pray that we will all learn from this, And that we know that the reality of temptation is there all the time. And yet we'll learn to say no. Turn our backs on it through your power and strength in our lives. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.